Welcome to On Mic with Jordan Rich, a podcast that celebrates creative people in the arts. From broadcasting to theater, film, to the written word, and more. Today's guest is a two-time New England Emmy winner. He's had a long, successful career on television as both a general assignment pro and entertainment reporter. His name is Tim Estilos, and he's interviewed just about every major Hollywood star you can think of in the last couple of decades. Tim is a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, the largest group of professional film critics in the country. He's also spent years touring with the world-famous Ice Capades. That's right. And as you'll hear on my podcast, Tim's also a very talented artist and humanitarian who gives of his time and talent every week at Boston Children's Hospital. I'm sitting down with a Renaissance man. You like that? Card? I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm going to put that on my business cards now. It's a long <laughs> word. You better have a long business card <laughs> to spell Renaissance. Tim, it's wonderful to see you again. We've been friends for many, many years, friends on and off the air. And uh, when it comes to being on the air, you're still very much heard and seen around the country. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I recently started doing some work for a production company out of uh, London in the UK called ITN Productions. And so they send me around uh, various parts of the country, New England uh, specifically, and also into Canada, doing you know medical reports and so forth. And then there's a show out in the Midwest called The Spiel that I do um, entertainment reports for uh, celebrity interviews. Well, what's interesting about that is that here you are in, we're taping this in Boston, our headquarters, here you are in one part of the U.S. of A., and you're doing things remotely, and you know, obviously you do travel some, but it's pretty cool that you, with your talent, can still do the kinds of things that you love to do now on a national or international basis. Yeah, it's very, very rewarding to be able to still do that. Um, as a prior guest of yours noted, here in Boston, there's not a lot of opportunities for doing entertainment reporting back in the day, such as when Sarah Edwards or Dixie Watley or Joyce Cole Haywick were the big three doing entertainment reporting. Now, the local news outlets uh, want to focus more on news and sports. So my passion has always been doing entertainment reporting. I started out in news, uh, working for WB56 back uh, a number of years ago, as well as a number of stations. But Thanks to, in large part, Sarah Edwards, who was over at Channel 7, and also, to a lesser extent, Dixie Watley, who was also encouraging of me. I was able to transition doing entertainment reporting. And now to be able to continue to do that, but do it by way of uh, the vast opportunities that the internet provides uh, in terms of being on YouTube or somebody's website, uh, it's it's really great. For the Benefit of this podcast, could you explain how these entertainment interview series go with big stars? And it's it's considered a cattle call for people in the business. They have to line themselves up to talk to Harrison Ford for five minutes. Is that happening in your world currently, that kind of yeah, media mm -hmm. the, experience? The, there's usually two ways that it goes about uh, happening. If it's out in L.A. or New York City, you might have as many as 100, maybe 200 uh, journalists from around the country coming in to speak to maybe one or a, maybe a selection of celebrities from a particular film. So they are sitting, the celebrity is sitting in a chair for maybe two or three hours at a time while there's this rotation of reporters coming in and speaking for upwards of no more than five minutes, if you're lucky, maybe four minutes. I find that very challenging mm. in a good way mm. because the the celebrity 
is sitting there and they may be getting the same question over and over and over again. What I find challenging, and again, in a very positive way for me, is to go into that interview with that four minutes or that five minutes and ask a question a little bit about their film. That's expected. But uh, again, I referenced Sarah Edwards, who was my mentor, if you will, uh, saying, ask a couple of questions about the film, but then use that extra time to ask something personal that the star would enjoy talking about, something that really stands out that would make them really enthusiastic about talking. How about an example, a recent example? Do you have one? A recent example was with Mary Steenburgen for the movie Book Club. Uh, (laughs) I had a long-standing, this is true, a long-standing crush on her ever since her very first film called Time After Time. Oh, with Christopher Reeve. Uh, No, 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 I'm sorry, with with, uh, the man she ultimately married. Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. I'm getting my my titles mixed Mm -hmm. up. That was actually a pretty intriguing film about Search for Jack the Ripper, I'm not... Yeah, that's right. The plot line had something to do with H.G. Wells as a real author and real life character mm-hmm. within the film, but he was unknowingly friends with Jack the Ripper, and Jack the Ripper takes H.G. Wells' time machine to the modern day. That's correct. That's mm-hmm. correct. David Warner, I believe, also appeared in that film. It's he all w- coming back to he me He was now. Jack the Ripper. <laughs> so in talking with Mary Steenburgen, I... I paused for a second and in my no, I, 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 I thought it would make for a very, very spontaneous moment. So I confided to her that I had a crush on her since that film. And what that led to was a big smile on her face. And uh, I said I had a harmless crush. And she said she found it was, you know, very interesting that I said it was a harmless crush. Yes. And from there, she began to talk about how much that film meant to her, mm-hmm. how much that is one of her favorite films, how she met Malcolm McDowell as her husband and her children. Uh, and the interview evolved into her talking about wanting to make, in the best way, her husband, who she loves very much, Ted Dance and Jealous <laughs> and so forth. And uh, a subsequent question so was asking her about being a a very uh, accomplished songwriter for many, many people. One of the points that I think we ought to make is the importance of doing your homework and mm-hmm. being prepared. And anyone, a celebrity or a non, would appreciate that. Exactly. Feels that you've done the work as you care. Exactly. Right. Because when I go into one of those interviews and, again, having that four or five minutes to really rapid fire get exactly what I need. I will research, yeah, the film, of course, but also try and find little nuggets that that might be interesting about their life, lives. Nothing uh, tabloidish, but something that really speaks to them and that they will uh, respond in kind and give a really interesting interview. While we're on the subject, is it your experience that many of the celebrities of today are more wary of reporters because of the amount of stuff written about them online by non-official report. I mean, there's so much junk and so much TMZ-generated material. I'm wondering if there's a, a shield that many of these people are putting up more so than in the past. I think in the cases of some of the newer celebrities uh, who um, are, you know, breaking into the scene, the ones who are, shall we say, veterans, like let's say a Meryl Streep or um, a Robert Downey Jr., for example, they have been around enough of these interviews that they feel comfortable in terms of maybe parrying something that would be a little too intrusive. Because I've seen people walk out of interviews as you have. I've seen people melt down. And you're right, many of them are the younger set. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very challenging thing on on their side 
to be on in that setting, isn't it? Yeah, and and what you see or what you don't see off camera during all of those celebrity interviews is the celebrity is not there alone. There is a publicist there waiting to shut down the interview right away if you veer too far afield or there are some celebrities, maybe many of them, that have a little subtle gesture that they might do. Oh, a wink the, or a nod to their publicist. Quite literally, yes. quite literally. And and again, uh, you're dealing with people who are making hundreds of millions of dollars, movies that cost that much, and there's a lot riding on that. And can an interview or a series of interviews or press make or break a film, in your estimation? I think not. I think that the, the interviews... In terms of publicizing, it gets the word out. That's, I think, what their main point of view is on that. Unless they, unless a celebrity says something uh, totally egregious that makes the news that can sink something of that sort. I think, believe that happened uh, some time back with, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the film, um, uh, Birth of a Nation. I think it was the one. With the director, I believe, had some issues. Yes. Yeah. The and- dr- director and, I believe, the star. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he... He said something uh, that was a bit controversial. That did have an impact, as yeah, I recall. Yeah. But for the most part, I think the movie usually speaks for itself in the word of mouth from the public. As mentioned in the introduction, Tim Estilos is a renaissance man. There's so much to you that I want to talk about. One of the uh, skill sets that I never even pursued as a kid is ice skating. But you took it to a whole new level. You actually skated with the famous ice capades for, for several years. For four years, yes. I um, And it was a blast. It was, it was really... Uh, a smile on my face right now thinking about it. We had a, a reunion, um, tw- two of them, the past 10 years. Uh, it w- We were celebrating its 75th year, and there were people who had been in the show dating back to the 40s. Uh, I think the oldest uh, skater that came back for it was in her in their 90s, two 90-something-year-old mm. women. But for me, yeah, I started out as a competitive figure skater. And <laughs> the reason why I started out skating was for maybe one of, I won't say the oddest of reasons, but I will be honest, I had a huge, huge crush to this day still on Dorothy Hamill. You have these crushes, don't I you? I do, I do, yes. M- multiple crushes here. Uh, and so, you know, I, I became ill uh as a as a late teen and the doctor said i needed to take up a sport so i was watching the olympic games and uh then i saw dorothy hamilton i said you know let me give that a try so wait a minute you didn't start till you were in your late teens i started late teens wow. yes and and how does one get into the ice capades i imagine the competition is pretty fierce and there are challenges and levels you have to pass yeah well the 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 way i was able to make the entree into the ice capades and even as far as i did competitively i had uh, two things going for me. I had an awesome coach who really believed in me and saw some talent in me. And two, I was a little bit crazy to throw myself up in the air <laughs> yes. at, you know, in as nine, at the age of 19 and try and do these uh, double jumps and even some triples. And I landed all the double jumps. So I, I became a pretty accomplished. Uh, very, yeah, very. I would say don't, <laughs> don't humble yourself. That is accomplished. And uh, you, your particular persona in the ice capades, were you doing the the romantic, handsome man on ice floating around on the ice? Or were you wearing a big furry head or something? A little bit of both, actually. <laughs> the, the way they uh, worked the show to get into it, uh, they would hold an audition every Friday night, uh, an open audition. Anybody could walk in at the end of a performance with a pair of skates and 
audition by showing off your jumps, your your spins, whatever sort of uh, ability that you had as a skater. And they happened to have an opening at that time. And I, I didn't expect to join because at the time I was actually doing my first journalism job for your uh, former sister station, w, or KDKA in Pittsburgh. Oh, my goodness. What a small world. Uh And I was writing for them. But the opportunity came up. The, the performance director said, I like the way you skate. And would you like to join us? So I ended up on a four-year journey of performing every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, three shows on Saturday, two on Sunday, and traveling on Monday. I would national say- National tour, right? National tour. Nine months on the road. I would say we literally hit, and during the course of the four years, hit literally every major city in the United States and Canada and many of the uh, smaller ones, let's say, literally Peoria. And do you do what circus people do, let's say, and all sort of hang together or in in trains or mobile homes or something? Well, well, you would would travel by way... (laughs) I'm just asking the and questions. We had, we had a big old elephant in there. On yes. the, you've, you've never seen anything until you've seen an elephant on skates, I kid. Uh, but we traveled either by um, bus or by plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, we became quite literally a family because you, when you're performing like that, uh, you're performing as a company, actually not unlike the circus. Uh, so you're performing together, you're staying in the same hotels together, you're rooming together, you're traveling together, you're um, going out to dinner together. And many people were, we were, away from our families for, again, nine months out of the year. So you become uh, a family in just about every sense of the word. Uh, sometimes there's a little bit of dysfunction going on. Mm. But the best part of it was just being able to perform that night literally in front of thousands of people. I have to tell you from or reiterate from you know a previous interview that we did, one of the best feelings in the world is being in center ice at, let's say, a place called the Staples Center and hear thousands of people, oh, thousands that, of people applaud for you. I can just imagine it must be thrilling. And, and to pull it off night after night, and people are going to shows like this to see something they can't do and can't imagine. And I remember there was the Ice Follies, too, for a while. But the Ice Capades was a Boston favorite for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of miss it. We kind of yeah, miss it. Yeah, they were competing shows. Uh, um, sadly, it's a, it's it's now a product of a bygone era. It, didn't, it ended, I'd say, uh, officially maybe about... 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. because now we have, uh, yes, there's Disney on ice, but that's focused more towards right. children. And uh, with the advent of uh, professional Olympic skaters taking control of their careers, they put together their own shows so that it's strictly um, Olympic champions that are performing. Well, speaking of children, that's a perfect segue. Yes. I've known this gentleman now for many, many years, and uh, there's a child in you because we used to have you come join <laughs> me on my late night radio show on WBZ in Boston and talk about, among other things, toys. You're a collector and you love nostalgia. But I really wanted to focus on another project that's been ongoing for many years, the work you do at Boston Children's Hospital. Why don't you explain to our audience what that is? Uh, thank you. It's really one of the more one of the more rewarding um, aspects of my life for the past now five years. Um, I started. I, I had a desire to do some things volunteering for children. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but um, I'm told I'm an accomplished artist, uh, graphic artist, illustrator, yes. and cartoonist. So I, I called up Children's Hospital and I said, you know, I know you have clowns that work there to entertain the kids. Have you ever thought about having someone come in and draw for the kids, do cartoons? And I was transferred to about five or six different people within the hospital. And finally, I found someone who 
the timing was just perfect. They were starting what uh, began and continues to be what's called the Creative Arts Program at Boston Children's Hospital. And I encourage everybody who's listening to uh, uh, get in touch with Children's Hospital and support it. So it's a group of artists and musicians like myself. Uh, or artists like myself right, and musicians right, right. who will go into the into the intensive care unit and or other units. And in my case, I will draw uh, for the children or draw with them. It's uh, it's rewarding in so many ways uh, because the kids are dealing with so many horrific, sometimes potentially deadly uh, illnesses. And to be able to go into a room and see a child who's very, very ill, hooked up to all kinds of machinery, and the nurses and the doctors are doing, uh, they're one of the, it's the best children's hospital in the country. But the, for the kids to have somebody come in and make them smile and just take them momentarily out of that, out of that agony or, or right, pain that they're right. going through, as well as the parents, because the parents are sitting beside the bed watching their child um, struggle to get better. And that's very taxing on them. So I see my role as coming in there and drawing for the children and entertaining them as you and I are performers on the radio, uh, sometimes acting very silly. We also have a, a Ryan Seacrest sponsored radio slash TV station within this, the hospital. So I do a, a cartooning show there for the kids. And basically it's, it's kind of like juggling cats, as I call it, where I'm on the air talking as we are now. I'm drawing while a mm. camera's talking to me and I'm interviewing a number of kids who are in the studio as well as in the room there. So the bottom line is, is that it's just bringing some smiles to those, those very sick children, if only for a moment, if only for a moment. These are the kinds of things that people sometimes say, I'd like to do volunteer work. I'm not sure what, but you actually have been doing this how long? Uh, six years now. Six years. You made the effort and then you've stuck with it. And uh, it's not always a happy job because you realize that some of these kids aren't going to make it. That's true. That's true. I was telling you just prior to starting this interview is that for all the um, the wonderful moments where the children are smiling, not every child in any hospital is going to um, survive. So, you know, my job, the job of my colleagues is to get to know these patients, maybe over a long-term period, and you get very close to them. You form a bond with them. They look forward to seeing you. And there are times where, you know, I'll come to the hospital on a particular day and be told that that child passed away. Um, now that obviously and clearly is very sad, but to add sort of an uplifting note to that, uh, is that recently I had a parent tell me that even though their child had passed away, that whatever it was that I did to bring some happiness to that experience in the hospital by way of the drawing, to see that child smile, if only for a little while, um, and take them out of that that moment of 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 pain and and the difficulty that they're going through that really helped not only the child at the time but also those parents have a wonderful memory that it was not all bad 
Indeed. You published a book, in fact, and we talked about this book when it came out. And I'd love you to talk about it again because it was so adorable and the illustrations were amazing as as we've been discussing. Your talent knows no bounds. I'm, I'm stroking you a little bit because oh. <laughs> I, I love you to pieces. But talk about the book, Thank and, you, my and if you will. Let, let's tell everybody about it. Yeah, about a, I'd say now about a year and a half ago, no more than two years, I uh, managed to run into a wonderful woman named Omaima Zayed out in L.A., and she was writing a children's book uh, that she titled Trouble on the Loose that is still available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And it was a a children's book about her children that um, she had a little boy and an older daughter. And the little boy, who I related to quite a bit because I had two older sisters, would sort of be very mischievous and drive his older sister uh, nuts. Pretty much. Mm. So she contacted me to illustrate the book. And it was, you know, 15 full color illustrations. It was, it was wonderful to have the opportunity to see my work published, my artwork published in that fashion and, and sort of relate to the, the story that was being told. And what I found in, in the past few years, particularly starting at Children's Hospital, referencing that ever so briefly, is I was so involved with my broadcasting career that my artwork had sort of fallen to the wayside a little bit. I, you know, I would do a, an illustration for a friend or a portrait, but by the repetition every week of drawing for the kids and doing the children's book is that right now I have a huge passion for um, creating new artwork. I did a mural on the wall mural, my very first wall mural on the Garcia Brogan's restaurant in Waltham. It's not a plug for the restaurant. It's a plug for my mural. Of course. We'll, we'll dine when we go there, though. We'll, we'll give them our business. Yeah. And, uh, you know, various comic conventions pop up. There's one coming up in Boston um, this coming weekend. Right. And uh, so I go and uh, and not only, you know, show my art and, and, and create new art for people, but it's nice, once again, with the children's point of view, is that a lot of kids will come up to my table and I love seeing their artwork. A lot of kids will come up and they'll say very timidly, I, you know, would you take a look at some of my work? And usually they're amazing artists. They just great? need a little bit of, uh, of um, attention and encouragement. You know, looking through your vast resume, I'm so interested in so many things you've done, including game show hosting, including MC, including stand-up news. You've been in some films, some extra roles and some speaking roles in some films. My question or comment is the idea that here you are, I keep referring to you as this renaissance guy, but a sort of a jack of all trades, and it's worked for you. It's not easy. Business that we're talking about, which is broadcasting, entertainment, media, is it so that you have to be this kind of jack of all trades to really be successful enough to, in to my call opinion, yourself a success? Yeah, in my opinion, what works for me, I can't speak for other people. Number one, the reason that I... I, I enjoy doing all of these things. My mom encouraged me at a very young age to, to utilize what I am blessed, I will say, my God-given talents to whether it be drawing or to perform or to talk to people and, and, and interview them and that type of thing. So I was always encouraged as a, as a child to, to really never let a stone of talent or opportunity be left unturned. So I enjoy trying all of these things. And I think as as time progresses, particularly in this media age where you have corporations downsizing and 
uh, eliminating certain positions, whether it's uh, an entertainment division or a sports division right. or something like that, that you have to be <clears throat> very flexible. And uh, so, yeah, it's it can be a a challenge juggling all of that, or as I say, juggling cats, uh, <laughs> many cats in metaphor. the air. Um, you know, an, an old Steve Martin reference there, juggling cats. But I've seen you successfully do it. And again, you're right. This is you. We can't compare you to anybody else. But if there's a model on how to do it effectively and how to pace yourself and live the kind of lifestyle, again, I don't know you as personally as some perhaps, but I know enough about you to know that you've done it with panache and confidence and and steadfastness. You've continued at it and you're still succeeding at it. Well, I I believe that that comes from the sort of uh, upbringing that I, I give great credit to, to my mother. She always said, you know, you just keep pushing forward and never let anybody discourage you. Certainly, you know, and I know in this business that there are a number of people that will try and, uh, and you know, take you down a notch, maybe be jealous, maybe for whatever reason, you know, try and discourage you. I am very happy that I was uh, raised to just persevere and to not let um, anything limit me. In fact, I always like trying different things, whether it's professionally or trying something that's a little bit crazy. Like recently, I, I, I went snowboarding, or rather, on a snowboard down a sand dune in the Chilean desert. So, so I like trying different things. I think also it keeps you vibrant. I, keep, I believe it keeps you young. And... You know, so many people will retire and and you know maybe relax a little bit. I I enjoy just moving forward and trying always something new or continuing to try and find an avenue for the things that I enjoy, whether it be the artwork, whether it be the entertainment reporting or celebrity reporting or reporting for people in London, or drawing for kids at at a hospital or at a comic con. I mean, you have to love what you do. So many people mm. uh, grow old. And unhappy by not doing the things that they love. And if you're fortunate enough to find something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, many people are the recipients of that passion of yours, and uh, including me, because we've had so much fun together. And congratulations on all the success. Thank you for doing what you do for the kids. We'll keep our eyes peeled to the various TV outlets to see you and and uh, catch your wonderful interviews and reports on the entertainment world. Yeah, you can find uh, a lot of my interviews either uh, on YouTube, either that or at spiel.com, uh, S-P-I-E-L. Thank you. I was going to ask you to spell spiel. Cause, yeah. You know, <laughs> from my fence post, it's spelled a different way, but that's okay. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a strange name for the Midwest, but apparently, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just you know, cash the paychecks. But uh, yes, you can find me on YouTube. You can find me under my name, Tim Estilos, E-S-T-I-L-O-Z, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and a lot of my artwork on Facebook at Tim Estilos Art. And finally, I'm uh, putting my um, website together, or rather rejiggering it a little bit. So at timestilos.com. Well, my good friend, uh, we're about to go grab some lunch right now. The audience that should know that great. food is a big part of any podcast venture. Thank you so much. Great to share discussion in front of the mic and off mic as well. It's so enjoyable. If I can conclude by saying this, it's so good to be on the microphone with you again. You have given us such, such enjoyment and, and entertainment and, and 
meaningful conversation over the years at WBZ and now through this podcast. It is just a joy to be sitting with you again, my friend. Well, thank you. Tim Estilos, my very special guest. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chart Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.